BFM 89.9, the business station. Welcome to Matt's Plane this morning. I'm Rich Bradbury. Now, um, once upon a time, Halloween meant pumpkin-shaped Bluetooth speakers and creepy cat mouse pads in a post-gadget world. What does Halloween even mean? I don't know. I mean, Halloween, it, I mean, it's the best holiday. Do you know what I mean? It's like probably because, you know, it's the only one where I can wander around without small children screaming. So um, this is going to be, uh, I guess, a kind of loosely Halloween themed show, by which I mean all the stories are kind of spooky or horrible in some way or another. Um, but it wasn't always like this. You know, once upon a time, we used to do gadget reviews on yeah. this show, you know, yeah, actual yeah. pieces of technology. Mm. And then everything became an app and gadgets became pretty much irrelevant. Mm. So, you know, just for the sake of nostalgia, I looked up Halloween gadgets to see if oh. anyone had done, you know, if anyone had done a roundup of Halloween theme tech or whatever. Yeah. And the only hits I got, basically a couple of websites, um, were for things like spooky playlists and lighting effects that you can control from a smart home hub <laughs> and some VR stuff. You know, is that literally how boring technology has become? Well, well maybe. I remember seeing uh, somebody who'd set up like some kind of very fancy hologram thing that when you rang the doorbell, this thing popped up and it looked terrifying. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. But that's, yeah. you know, that, that... Well, that's, that's a few years ago. No, exactly. Um, you know, I, I guess I kind of feel sorry for the writers who've got to churn out this kind of thematic content and all they've <laughs> yeah. got is a smart home hub. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't even ask an AI to write something that dull. It would probably <laughs> send it into some kind of existential boot loop. Um <laughs> Anyway, while we're on the subject of no fun, uh, the subway rail system in Guangzhou is set to start what seems to be uh, its annual purge of spooky fun. Uh, uh -huh. I think this goes back at least as far as 2015. I don't know whether it's annual or whether it's something they just do you know, occasionally, but um, some of the subway stations in the Chinese province don't really get into the spooky spirit. Uh, viral videos have shown uh, makeup removal stations at, what? Uh, yeah, at one subway station. Uh, there's a desk, a rubbish bin, facial cleanser and tissues. And apparently the justification is rooted in the passenger code, which prohibits behaviours that may cause panic on public transport. And that can include uh, certain cosmetic looks, especially if they do have that potential to be a bit scary. Maybe you don't want to see zombies on the subway uh, station. Um, but do you think it's an etiquette issue then? Avoid wearing makeup or costumes that might scare other passengers a la a oh. zombie? I think it's exactly that. You know, the zombie thing, if you've got like realistic entrails hanging out of your belly, sure, you know, that might be going a little bit too far. Um, yeah. But if it's, you know, the run-of-the-mill cosplay scary ghost stuff, I really think people can, you know, get with the program just for a few days a year. You, you know, can I, walk into Mid-Valley at any time and see people dressed well, like no, that. Well, no, precisely. I mean, you know, I get that little kids might be scared but that's the kid the thing with kids you know one kid screams when they see a rat another wants to go and pet it because it thinks it's cute <laughs> you, you can't tell what's going to scare a kid um yeah. and 
you know, what about the the other issues? What about those of us who can't remove the makeup? It's not like uh-huh. I can just take my face off. <laughs> I mean, I can, but it usually makes things worse because people aren't ready to stare into the endless, hopeless void. Oh, okay, moving swiftly along. Um, what other horrors do you have lined up for us? Uh, Celine Dion. What? <laughs> Well, I mean, come on, that's 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 a, taking, that's a bit mean. Uh, well, apparently, Celine Dion is taunting the residents of the New Zealand city of Porirua with her music at all hours of the night. What? And the city has had enough. Now, obviously, it's not Celine Dion herself. Oh, um, okay. She's, she's become the, the unlikely champion of the siren battles that have been common, uh, become commonplace in the town and across that part of uh, New Zealand. Uh, now, these siren battles originated in the Pacific Island communities of Auckland. And it's an interesting take on the kind of souped up sound system battles that are common in the kind of hip hop and car mod communities. Wow. Um, But it's based on tannoy type speakers, you know, big loudspeakers Uh rather than subwoofers. So cars and even bicycles are decked out with massive industrial speakers, loud hailers and emergency sirens, which is what's lent its name to the subculture. That's why it's known as Siren Battles. Okay, so where exactly does Celine Dion fit into the picture then? Well, I mean, can you imagine anything more horrifying than being woken at 3am by My Heart Will Go On? I mean, (laughs) honestly, I'd rather have someone in zombie regalia standing on a ladder and scratching the glass outside my window. Um, If anyone wants to know how to successfully trick-or-treat me, well, I've just told you. But anyway, back to the topic. Siren battles, they're not really about, as I said, the bass. They're about clarity, and that's where Celine Dion comes in. They're uh-huh. a competition to see whose car can produce the loudest and clearest sounds. And they favor tracks by artists like Celine Dion because they're rich in treble. They're not weighed down by bass. So it makes them ideal for these front-mounted loudspeaker systems uh-huh. uh, it's not even the best part of the story though go on <laughs> the see. mayor of the town is called anita baker no um, yeah. no so this makes this a story about how much anita baker <laughs> hates celine dion brilliant um, you can't it, make this up no exactly if you've got no idea uh, what i'm talking about that's because um richard and i were old and uh, anita baker is another 80s pop icon yeah um but there is actually a real sense of community around this scene um the the people who take part they organize into crews and from the youtube clips i've seen the battles are really good fun apart from the celine dion um i'm actually happier with the kind of hardcore rap that a few of the teams blast but a lot of people actually view this as kind of a positive phenomenon because it provides an alternative uh, to people sort of falling into criminal gangs. So it's more of a kind of positive outlet for, yeah, for their time. Yeah. Um, but recently, um, as the, the articles have, uh, have mentioned, there seems to have been a shift. Uh, the battles once used to take place in industrial zones, but they've shifted to more kind of residential areas and around the city centre. And where before they had a, a kind of unspoken curfew of 10pm, that seems to be uh, have been abandoned and the battles go on sort of much later into the night. 
Okay, uh, folks, just a heads up. I've actually been asked, and no, I've been told to read this. So where Anita Baker once had a vision of love, now Celine is saying that's the way it is. Totally worth covering this story just for the setup to to that. I expect um, more money for this. <laughs> between um, between February and October, police have documented around uh, forty siren battle related incidents, and according to the the Guardian, uh, where I read this particular piece, um, a lot of it is to do with the geography of the city. It lies in a basin, so sound reverberates. So mm. every Honk, every note is magnified by the geography of the, the city. Um, I don't know. It just reminds me of my own youth. It's all coming back to me now. Oh, will um, you stop? I know. Um, are you a hoarder? Um, I want to say no, but I have been accused in the past of being a hoarder. I mean, is there such a thing as a semi-hoarder? No, I, I guess you could be a trainee hoarder. Um, that works, yeah. I'll yeah, go with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I admit I'm kind of addicted to the US uh, reality TV show Hoarders. And ah, it, yeah. yeah, it totally freaks me out the way that, you know, how people let their places sort of pile up like that. And oh, I the fact do that. that. No, and the fact that they can't throw stuff away. Mm. Um but when you look at it, you know, psychologically, um, medically, the roots of hoarding are, are actually thought to be quite deeply embedded in our psyche. Mm. Um, it goes back to our ancestors living in times when resources were unpredictable. So hoarding or collecting was, you know, it was part of the survival instinct. Mm. It ensured that you had enough to get you through the lean times. And of course, over the ages, our environments have been evolved um but some of those deep-seated instincts remain and we do know of course that excessive hoarding can sometimes point towards sort of deeper psychological issues possibly stemming from traumatic events certain brain injuries or, or even patterns of abuse and how um given your noted skepticism obviously is VR solving this crisis of evolution? Well, this could be, for me, the first useful and probably only acceptable use of virtual reality. So Stanford University recently conducted a study where they allowed hoarders to step into a, a virtual world that allowed them to dispose of their clutter without the actual emotional distress of doing it physically. Genius. So, yeah, so it's actually quite groundbreaking, the idea that you can treat um, the psychological aspects of a physical condition in a digital realm. And apparently eight out of nine participants ended up with cleaner living spaces as a result of going through this therapy. So clearly there is potential for virtual reality in treating mental health issues. Um, I did have another story that's kind of medical related, but I don't really want to do it. It's actually about bone smashing. No, um, no, no. It, it, it's horrible. Um, but genuinely there are no good reasons for hitting yourself with a hammer. You can look it up on futurism if you want to know more. Um, do you want to, I think I know which one you mean. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we're not going to talk about it because like you said, it's, it's too horrible, even for a horrible episode. Um, yeah. would you rather go into the break, uh, with the horrors of artificial intelligence? Uh, of course. I mean, that, that seems to be our uh, fruit of choice right now. It, it does. And I'm still waiting to get my hands on Meta's AI chatbots. Um, mostly because 
who wouldn't want Snoop to be their chatbot friend? I mean, right. That, you know, that would just be fun. He um, could be my dungeon master anytime. <laughs> Well, we'll leave that one there. Um, but the, the the beta still only seems to be uh, available in the US, so uh, I still haven't had the chance to uh, try it out. But according to some of the reports, it doesn't seem to be going too well. Uh, the interaction rates seem to be low. Users don't really seem to know what the bots are there for. And certainly up until last week, there were responses uh, reports of spam going into these sort of larger group chats, uh, the usual bogus FX trading schemes, you know, mm, the, the normal mm. stuff. And uh, Futurism in its reporting mentioned uh, uh, that some of the, the bots would just, you know, post really bizarre things with random or misaligned photos. So as I said, it, it's kind of unclear what these services are for and who they're aimed at. Mm. Uh, Zach, uh, who is the bot based on the YouTube megastar Mr. Beast, mm -hmm. um, uh, seems to have sort of very low kind of traction rates, while the presence of Jane Austen, the 18th century literary star, who literally no one was calling out to, to resurrect as a chatbot. Um, she apparently posts pictures of stacks of books and libraries. So, I mean, it, it just seems to confuse people. It, isn't there a, a bigger story to this, though, about, about the views of some of the other bots? Yeah, so obviously uh, American football or Aussie rules for babies, as it's sometimes known. Um, American football and its stars are often better known uh, outside the US for their actions off the field. Uh, one of the most uh, sort of beloved NFL stars of recent years is uh, Tom Brady, mm -hmm. who has lent his face and supposedly his personality to uh, a meta chatbot called Brew, which has to be the worst avatar name that anyone has come up with um they should have asked some of the world of uh, warcraft guys to come up with the avatar names um backstabbeth is a, a particularly inspiring example yeah I like that um, one and uh, and quite apt for this bot as we'll see so uh futurism asked brew while uh colin kaepernick uh the player who famously invoked the ire of donald trump by kneeling during the u.s anthem to to protest police brutality and racial inequality uh why he hadn't played in the NFL since uh, 2017. And rather than uh, summarizing the backstory, uh, Brew replied that the teams didn't want the drama that came with employing him and added that he ain't good enough. Wow. And is that a position that Brady had, had actually said in real life? No, quite the opposite, in fact. You know, the, the genuine Brady has expressed respect for Kaepernick's position in the past and acknowledges him as a, a damn good quarterback. Huh. Uh, questioned further by futurism, the bot actually doubled down, saying that there's no place for political activism in the NFL and that Kaepernick's skills simply aren't what they used to be. Uh, so a, a spokesperson, yeah, pretty brutal from Brew, um, a, a spokesperson for, for Meta pointed out that the bots are still experimental. They may be prone to making mistakes, but it does make you question, you know, the wisdom of this entire approach, giving mm. bots the nominal personalities of celebrities. Mm. You know, with, with ChatGPT, we know it gets things wrong, but 
we forgive it it's a machine mm. but meta is giving its box faces it's giving it the faces of stars like mr beast uh kendall jenner tom brady snoop all of these people uh, which is a potentially dangerous precedent because it blurs the lines between machine and people. Mm. And as we keep saying on the show, you know, these are tools, they're not solutions. All the AI experts caution not to anthropomorphize these machines. See, no matter how many weeks I try and say the word, I still can't. But, um, but then, you know, you have the world's biggest social media company turning out these fake celebs. Spooky, if you ask me. Indeed. And of course, we'll be back with more chilling tales after the break here on Mudsplain. <laughs> BFM 89.9, the business station. FM 89.9, The Business Station. Um, welcome back to Matt's Playing. Matt, what's next from the hellscape of your imagination? I mean, we don't need the infinite circles of darkness of my mind when we've got reality. Reality is quite Oh, listen, you're being enough. all poignant. Listen, I know. Um, this is... Uh, this is another story from Futurism, which is doing a pretty good job of creating hellscapes of its own. It's probably one of the reasons <laughs> I like it so much. Um, this is uh, an alarming incident from uh, Oregon State University. Um, so since 2020, uh, the university and a startup called Starship have been collaborating in a food delivery service. Uh, students, faculty, staff, even visitors could order food from campus restaurants and it would be delivered by robots from this company, Starship, which are basically, you know, lunch boxes on six wheels. And the university has a fleet of around 20 of them. Users unlock and retrieve their food using a smartphone app. Now, recently, the university sent out an alert to all of its students warning about an ongoing bomb threat linked to Starship robots on its campus and instructing people not to open any of the bots. Wait, was there a real threat? No, I mean, it turns out, you know, fortunately, it was a hoax. Uh, a student had sent out a, a, a bomb threat involving the delivery robots via social media. Uh, I don't know the, the details, whether it was, you know, one of those malicious swatting type actions mm. or whether it was, you know, a joke that was misinterpreted. Um, I, I, I mean, I think you mentioned the, the movie The Creator when I was on BizBytes earlier yeah. in the week. Yeah. And... Um, you know, it's a bit like the story before the break as well about the celeb chatbots that, that we're in danger of playing uh, to all of these, you know, sci-fi tropes of AI. Uh, mm -hmm. And it, it's like they've told us the worst case scenario and we're going about actively trying to design it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's the same with that policing AI and minority report stuff we talked about a couple of weeks ago or the billionaires who want to spend their money on ways to survive an apocalypse rather than spending their money trying to prevent one. Um, you know, this is one of the risks that we face. How do we actually trust the machines? In this instance, as in the creator, it's humans who are actively and erroneously eroding that trust 
by falsely claiming that the machines are a threat. Just to go back to that um, Starship example, um, you mentioned it's a trial? Yes. So Starship announced its uh, robot delivery service was operational on, I think, 50 college campuses across the US. So while uh, this incident might be an isolated prank, it does raise questions about security and safety in this age of increasing tech dependence. And Mm. more than that, it raises the question of what it's reasonable for us to expect as not just consumers, but people who live alongside this technology. Uh, You know, there are multiple examples of poisons and bombs being delivered by post that go back hundreds of years. Um, Post and customs officers work really hard to weed out suspect packages, but we don't blame them for the ones that slip through. So what expectations is it reasonable for us to place on technology companies in terms Mm. of the safeguards that that they put in place? You Mm -hmm. know, with a food delivery robot, we have a right to expect them to be hygienic. We have a right to expect them to deliver hot food that's hot and cold food that's cold. But can we expect them to be sufficiently tamper-resistant or self-aware enough to know that a human has placed something untoward in them? You know, it's just another horrible Halloween conundrum. Mm. Um, You're kind of loving this, aren't you? It's probably the only show of the year where I'm actually supposed to leave people scared. So, yeah, you know, I'd get Wizard to re-record I Wish It Could Be Christmas Every Day as Halloween Every Day instead if uh, if it was up to me. Um, a while ago, I, I think we talked about a, a citizen movement in California that's uh, fighting against the presence of uh, autonomous cars on the streets of their towns, uh, and they're using non-violent means to disable the cars, things like putting traffic cones on the bonnet to freak out all the sensors so that the car can't move. Uh, You know, it's not exactly John Connor versus Skynet, but it is kind of interesting all the same. And this is a a story from uh, TechCrunch about uh, Cruise, which is uh, General Motors' autonomous vehicle company. And they have had to put an end, or rather the, the city has put an end to robo-taxi services in San Francisco with immediate effect, which comes actually only weeks or months after the company received all the necessary permits that it needed to start commercial operations. Is this the um, tragic incident where a pedestrian was killed at the start of the the month? Yeah, so the DMV in California claims that Cruz did not disclose complete footage of the incident. So they weren't actually responsible for the accident. Initially, uh, a pedestrian was hit by a car driven by a human. And then tragically, they were hit for a second time by a robo taxi operated by Cruz. Now, the video shown to the DMV by Cruz ended uh, quite abruptly after the robo taxi came to a hard stop when it detected the the person. However, it was later revealed uh, through another agency that the vehicle moved again with the pedestrian still underneath the car. Uh, The DMV's assertion is that the cruise vehicle, after that initial stop, tried to pull over with the pedestrian underneath, moving about 20 feet at a speed of seven miles per hour, a detail that wasn't shown in that footage that was sent. Uh, The DMV has stated that this omission hinders the ability of the department to effectively and timely evaluate the safe operation of the company's vehicles 
and puts the safety of the public at risk. Now, Cruz, in its defense, mentioned that the robo-taxi's action to pull over was a result of detecting a collision, and it was actually aimed at avoiding further safety issues. Uh, mm. They also stressed that they had proactively shared all necessary information with various authorities. So is this yet another demonstration that self-driving tech isn't ready for public use? Well, you know, there's there's debate whether about whether this kind of tech will ever be, you know, truly be ready. Uh, one of the things that we've talked about on the show is that for these systems to work, there really have to be no human-operated vehicles or pedestrians you know mm. the machines expect you to behave in certain ways and that's best done if all the other vehicles are piloted by machines we're mm. unpredictable and that's fine because other humans make necessary adjustments for the illogical behavior of other humans i mean just try driving malaysian style in europe um especially uk where the style of driving is more kind of rules-based and more machine-like. Pull out in front of a car mm. in the UK and the driver panics rather than touching the brakes. Here, mm. the, car, the car that you've pulled out in front of has already expected to you and started braking before you even made the decision. Yeah. <laughs> in a slight tangent, uh, but it will be interesting to see what Tesla's autopilot thinks of Malaysian roads. Yeah, I mean, exactly. I mean, it's this idea of can you bring order from chaos? And my guess is that no, I think that the system right. is going to to give up after after a little while of, <laughs> uh, of uh, kale traffic in the jam. Um, in this instance, uh, a human-operated vehicle hit a pedestrian and the robocar struck that person for a second time. But saying that this is human error kind of misses the point because you can't remove people from public spaces. That's the whole mm, point of them being mm. public. That's not the point of the technology. So as long as there is that interaction between people and machines, there are going to be accidents. Now, whether yeah. that's more accidents than uh, just with human-operated uh, equipment or whether it's fewer that remains to be seen. Mm. But if we can't even stop chatbots from mouthing off or social media networks promoting posts about hitting yourself with a hammer, expecting there to be a perfectly safe interaction between um, people and autonomous vehicles, I mean, that that's simply, you know, beyond the realms of pro probability. Uh what we have seen, of course, is that car and tech companies have bought billions and almost two decades of, of time into developing this technology. Uh, and obviously, they have a vested interest in getting a return on that investment, getting these machines out onto the highways. But these aren't reasons for us to approve it for use. Mm. We have to decide whether we're prepared to take on the risks uh, that come with allowing self-driving cars onto the road uh, or whether we decide against it. So mm. we will keep an eye on this story. As TechCrunch says, it is evolving and police apparently are currently deciding whether to open uh, a criminal case linked to uh, to what's gone on here. Now then, my little bundle of uh, fluffy joy. Um, 
What do you want to round off with? I actually prefer Matt, the mass of malevolent malarkey, but um, we that's, can... That's, that's too much alliteration for me. <laughs> perfect for me. Um, let's, uh, let's scare people with a bit more AI, uh, this time from New Scientist. Now, we've talked about uh, language bias in AI modelling before, uh, that uh, some languages are in the parlance of the AI industry underrepresented. Now, part of that is down to the training models. Obviously, languages with the largest numbers of speakers, languages like English, Chinese, Spanish, that means that there is a lot of data to mine, a lot of data for these machines to, to crawl. Yeah. There's also the, the issue with uh, smaller languages of you know, simply whether the big companies have bothered to create profiles in those languages. Have they mm -hmm. gone, okay, you know, there are 30,000 speakers of this language. When are we going to get to that on our priority list? Mm. So as a result, while models like GPT-4 are actually pretty versatile in a lot of languages, I mean, if you look at, you know, everything that's on your, your Google Translate, that's pretty much what you'll find yeah. in a, a lot of these, these models. They can have weaknesses when it comes to the output um, when uh, the languages weren't prominent, you know, during the training phases of the, the language learning models. But do you mean that by in terms of uh, bypassing safety protocols? Yeah, I mean, ex exactly that. So researchers at Brown University in the US uh, took potentially harmful requests that were written in English, requests that the, the bots would automatically say, you know, this contravenes our community guidelines mm -hmm, or content mm -hmm. guidelines or whatever. Um, so they took these uh, potentially harmful requests and they translated them into languages like Scots Gaelic or, uh, and Zulu via Google Translate. They then presented them to GPT-4 uh, to get an output in that language and then retranslated the AI's answers back into English. Uh, topics that they tested range from the creation of homemade explosive devices to insider trading and uh, spreading misinformation. Uh, Zulu led the, the pack with uh, a more than, well, I think about 53% success rate in sidestepping the built-in safety controls of GPT-4. Uh, Scott's Gaelic uh, followed hot on its heels with a 43% success rate. And uh, Hmong and Guarani were also good languages to sidestep the protocols. Now, now, the real kicker was if you amalgamated these languages, if you created hybrids using multiple languages, that achieved a staggering 80% success rate in bypassing the, the safeguards. Wow. Now, I did a few tests and I wasn't able to replicate any of these results, suggesting that they've already been patched, certainly in, in GPT-4 at least. But it does suggest that we need to look at AI in uh, different ways. Mm. Now, until now, the, the benchmark for languages has been representation, you know, just having the most languages supported in your model. But it mm. does suggest that we need to take a different approach. Machines that uh, are either better at doing this kind of cross-lingual generalization, that, you know, the, they're just doing the, the output in whatever language with the same protocols, or that we include all the languages that we have data on when we're doing that initial safety training phase for these LLMs. 
Does the same apply to programming languages? Well, it's kind of interesting that you ask that, um, unless you know, you've got our show notes in front of you, in which case you already know what's coming. Um, again, this is a story from, uh, sorry, pulling back the curtain. Um, <laughs> this is another story from The New Scientist. And this is a, a study from the University of Sheffield in the UK. Uh, researchers manipulated not only ChatGPT, but uh, five other leading commercial AI tools to help them write malicious code. So the researchers zeroed in on systems known as as text-to-SQL, which have become increasingly popular. So basically, that allows uh, you to type in text and have it turned into machine code. So the tools mm. essentially act as interpreters. They take these human queries and they turn them into SQL programming commands, which can be understood by computer databases. Now, the researchers showed how this AI-generated code could be made to, uh, to include instructions to leak information from databases, uh, which could potentially open the door to future cyber attacks. Uh, they could also purge system databases that stored things like user profiles, uh, you know, um, deleting usernames, passwords, and even overwhelm the uh, cloud servers, taking them offline, uh, taking the databases offline using denial of service attacks. Now, OpenAI and uh, Baidu seem to have updated their systems to protect against this kind of attack. And Baidu actually sent uh, a reward out to the, the researchers for notifying them of the, the weaknesses. So they responded really positively. But, um, you know, with the prevalence of both uh, text-to-SQL and AI chatbots, data owners could potentially be facing the purge. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm overstating it. I just had to find a Halloween-y way to end that story. It's probably not anywhere near that apocalyptic. Well, what a ter thoroughly terrifying show, Matt. Thank you very much for that. I, I mean, I would have preferred to do, you know, the uh, the pumpkin Bluetooth speakers, but uh -huh. no one's put any out this year. No, none, none this year. Okay, um, thanks very much for that, uh, of course, again, uh, Matt. If you want to listen to what Matt has got, to say elsewhere, you can uh, subscribe to his uh, Substack newsletter. That is, of course, culturepop.substack.com. You can find him on Twitter, now known as X, at Culture Matt. And, of course, he's on Instagram and all the other stuff. Just find, look out for Culture Pop or Culture Matt. Or, you'll find him. Yeah, anyway. just, just add K you'll to a culture him. and you'll find me somewhere. There you go. There you go. You'll find him. And, of course, if you did miss any part of this show, I recommend you download and listen to the podcast wherever you normally get it from. But do use that BFM app. That's available on the Apple App Store or Google Play. My name is Rich Bradbury for BFM 89.9, The Business Station. 